This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast, and we're back today with a lot of energy. At least Dave has energy, apparently. Apparently. Trying to derail my intro. I think it's all been expended <laughs> all at once. That's it. It's all that's left. <laughs> so what are we going to do today? I was under the assumption we're going to do something totally new, too, totally never done before. And unfortunately, that was a misconception. Oh, no. Because... We've, uh, for those of you that have been listening to the little series that we've been doing so far, we've gone through someone else's uh, understanding of what they think the most common misconception of enterprise open source are. And as we went through this, something was definitely brewing in my mind. And that thing was that I, I don't know that those are the only misconceptions. Uh, I don't even know that they are the largest misconceptions. Uh, that I see uh, around enterprise open source. So we put our brains together for Ooh. all of about 10 minutes and we figured out uh, what we think some of the uh, other misconceptions are. So don't worry, we've only got a few more uh, a few more <laughs> bites of this apple. But uh, I think that these are pretty common across the space. So uh, if you agree, or even if you disagree, let us know in the... Uh, in the YouTube comments, drop us an email, send us a smoke signal, a carrier pigeon with, with rants. I think smoke signals are not ecologically friendly anymore. That's it's bad, is it? I'm... Oh. Love a good bonfire. Anyway, talk us through then. What's the first oh, it's yours. misconception? You, you, you take it. It's, it's yours. All right. All right. So I think one of the first misconceptions uh, is that sort of the community is just free engineering resource like the 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 open enterprise open source vendor you know all they really need to do is offer a bit of uh, enterprise open source to uh, sorry enterprise support to satisfy uh, you know a legal team or a risk team and uh, you're done and that's all there is to it uh, i think that's a bit of a misconception what about you are you saying that that actually never happens? I think there's a range of uh, of vendors in this space. I would say it's rare that it's quite that simple, but I think there are projects, open source projects out there, that there are vendors that just are the enterprise open source support avenue for that, and there's really no difference between maybe the open source project that's developed mostly in the community and the enterprise offering but i think there's far more organizations and far more enterprise open source software offerings that exist in the large swathe of gray area in the middle where you've either got maybe very significant um, engineering contributions that are coming from that vendor into the open source project um, maybe they're steering the overall direction of it um, certainly accepting contributions but maybe they're driving the majority of the direction the majority of the investment the majority of the engineering firepower that, that's going into the the direction of that project i think that is more common than just thinking oh all this stuff is just done by a, a happy community of individuals out there uh, that are all kind of working unified towards one goal. 
Yeah, and it, there's a, def- a decent reason for that, of course. Uh, but before I go into that, I, I must say that the open source environment, I'm, not, well, I'm trying not to say community here, ecosystem, ecosystem. thank you, mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of obfuscated a bit because there are, of course, mm-hmm. the open source projects that then found a commercial entity to be able to deliver things like support contracts and stuff like that. And they seem to be totally different from each other. <clears throat> but as you said, quite often, the biggest contributors, committers of that project are actually part of that support organization, which kind of makes sense because if you don't know what the project does or don't have any internal knowledge of how it's built, uh, how you're going to fix bugs, how you're going to give support that actually values to, to it. And that's, of course, the reason why the, well, let's say, good open source, enterprise open source vendors do have a very tight connection with the community or simply are the community. Mm. It could be a bad thing because, again, open source's strength is from the many building a single thing, many people looking at it from a different angle, so you get a good product out of that. If it's a single company doing it, that's no longer a community in the sense of an open source community. So there are all different ways of how the open source community idea and enterprise yeah. salesmanship, if I just call it that, uh, can co- coexist or not. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a number of times about the Apache Software Foundation and, you know, love or hate the the governance model that that comes with being uh, an ASF project. There are some people that that fall on one side of that and some people very firmly on the other. But one of the things I do like about the, the ASF is they have very clear guidelines around, you know, what a a valid community or what a um what's the word i'm looking for healthy community looks like for a project to for it to remain as an asf project and one of those things is you know multiple contributors from multiple different organizations or individuals you know there should be no there should be no one organization that monopolizes the community uh, in any major way and and again, that's just an example from the ASF. Other, other sort of foundations or other uh, organisations or other uh, situations have their own guidelines. But I think that's it's a useful thing to have in the back of your mind, at the very least, if you're evaluating different open source projects like that. Yeah, and the fact that those guidelines have uh, stood the test of time because it's been around for couple of decades now, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does prove that it works. And there have been projects that actually got saved by this because you've quite often, I'm not going to name any names because it doesn't matter, but when a single entity got, what you call that, dictatorial powers within the, the community, you kind of saw that the project started to struggle. And then the risk of being thrown out of the SF, okay, we need to attract new blood to make this work. So we have to make this project more approachable, more popular, more interesting, more open, more, 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 mm. that typically saves those projects from a early demise, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. And the, one of the great things about this sort of, um, this sort of approach is that a wider set of perspectives often leads to better end results. Yeah, that's the idea. Um, so yeah, it, it's, I don't think, I, I think there are a lot of projects that are in the sort of the, the large swathe of gray area in between the one end of being 
everybody that contributes to XYZ open source project is a employee of ABC company mm -hmm. and the other end of the spectrum being um, the, the open source community is solely and entirely made up of individuals or a range of organizations and has almost nothing to do with uh, any enterprise entity that is selling support and services and everything else for that project. I think most enterprise open source solutions kind of exist in the middle ground in between those kind of poles. Um, I'd say it shifts over time in the maturity of a project. Because, I mean, mm. oftentimes the, the project starts as an open source initiative. Something, somebody built something kind of cool and other people mm. are using it. And suddenly there becomes a demand for a support structure. And community can be a support structure, but of course there's no SLAs. If you put in a bug request, a bug a ticket or something like that, you're not entirely, that probably will pick it up, but you can't really demand it needs to be fixed right now. I'm going to sue you because, hey, it's all volunteer driven. So when a project becomes more mature, a support entity needs to be set up and those need to be salaried employees that uh, that the boss can actually say, you have to work for me and do this thing. That's how you can actually enforce SLAs. And once that happens, the people that start, do, that do the most of the commits, I think it's kind of inevitable that the uh, commercial entity starts paying those major contributors at that point mm. because it just makes sense because they will need them to be able to deliver good support and once you have a commercial entity that's kind of dependent on the company on, on the project it's also kind of normal and nice that you start paying the people that are spending a lot of their time building the product and then that way i think over time you'll see that it's mostly on the all community not in commercial it starts getting a little bit commercial and then at the end or not the end of the project, not meaning that, but the end of the maturity scale, if you want it, if I, if I can call it that. I think you'll see that the majority of commits will come from the employees of the company, mm. but there should still always be a large community, at least uh, testing, giving feedback, doing bug reports mm. and things like that. I mean, if that, throw, if that goes away completely, then it's just a commercial product, right? There's no longer any kind of open source in there. And it's up to the, I mean, I think a good, enterprise open source company should foster that kind of community, should make sure that there is a good balance between big committers. Hey, you're on the, you're on the, on the, pay, on the payroll. We're going to make sure you, you can spend time on this. You're doing good work. Let's, let's give you the pot potential of keeping to do that, but also keeping an open mind towards anything from the community so that that multi-view aspect doesn't go away because that's the danger you run, right? And the moment you start, okay, everybody committing, we just come work for the company and now we, we own this thing. You kind of lose the open source culture at that point. And that is that would be bad because that's basically why open source is kind of conquering the world right now. It's a better method of building product pro uh, projects. So I think the some of this comes into some of these kind of misconceptions i think blend together a little bit or at least they're very closely connected because i think i've just added in one more kind of relatively small misconception maybe which i think aligns to some of what you've just been saying mm -hmm. which is 
I think there is a misconception that always the project is the same as the product. The enterprise I, open source product, you mean? That? Yeah. And I, th I think often you'll get this. I think sometimes en enterprise organizations, uh, enterprise open source software vendors make this more complicated than it needs to be or make um, make this misconception uh, more difficult for some people to understand just due to simple things like naming. Uh, so as, a, as a, an example from, from my history, um, for, you know, for you know, around about five years or so, I worked at Red Hat uh, many moons ago, and uh, I joined around, around about the time of the, the JBoss acquisition. And for many years, the enterprise open source product and the open source projects were sort of very closely named. You had sort of JBoss something, something, you know, Enterprise Application Server and the JBoss Application Server project. And yes, the Enterprise Application Server had uh, additional enterprise bells and whistles, but they were still called something very closely to the same thing. It's very difficult for um, some people to really grasp like, well, there's all of these things that look like they're basically named the same thing. What, how the hell do I kind of decipher any of this? Mm -hmm. Now, Red Hat eventually, I think nearly 10 years later, um, did, actually went through a renaming cycle and they renamed all of the um, open source projects under the sort of branding. Um, so for example, the JBoss uh, application server got renamed to Wildfly. And that then all of a sudden provided somewhat clearer separation between the open source project and the enterprise product. Now, this doesn't always work like that. This is like one example. But I do think people often get confused about what is the open source project and what is the enterprise product and what the differences are, if any. Yeah, when you put that in the doc there, I, I kind of looked at it differently because just reacting to what you're saying now, I also I, I kind of disagree. I, I think it makes more confusion if the open source project, the product is based upon, it has an entirely different name. Because mm. then I'm buying this uh, JBoss Enterprise application, whatever uh, you said there. And it's the thing that just came to be suddenly in the world. Where did it came from? Uh, what's the origin from this thing? Uh, who works with this? When I'm trying to find out new, I've got a problem deploying this thing, using this thing. I want to go on the internet to find other people having similar problems. Now I need to know that actually the project underneath there is called Wildflower, you think so? I think so. Wildfly. Wildfly, sorry. So it's actually, it was the other way around. So remember, the JBoss thing existed for a very long time beforehand, and then they renamed the open source project to Wildfly. Yeah. So it's actually the opposite of, of the kind of scenario that you're describing. Not entirely, because the people that uh, were in the Wildfly, does the community, they were invested, they knew what was happening, they, they were they up to speed, they know what was happening there. But me, let's say one month after this change happened, I decided to buy sure. JBoss. I have no 
idea where this thing comes from anymore. So while on the one hand, I can see having a clear distinction gives better expectation management because this is the open mm. source thing, no support, have fun with it. This is the enterprise build, ready, whatever. And yeah, that happens. But uh, personally, I kind of hate it when it happens, to be honest, because <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I do my due diligence, when I adopt a new project for, for whatever reason, I kind of want to know where it came from. And I want to yeah. know the, the original, where did the guy live? Uh, just to have an idea of the uh, of the culture behind the project, which for me is also also, also very important. Where does this, mm. this originate? Does it come from a very tight academic academic circle? Okay, that will ha I will have some preconceptions around that. Now those yeah. may be misunderstandings or misconceptions. <laughs> Just keep it to that theme here. <laughs> but still, it brings a kind of baggage with it. And by decoupling that, I my first gut reaction would actually be they're trying to hide something. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. I think the other the other challenge is going to be where you've got an open source project there are times when there actually is no difference between the open source project and the enterprise product and I would say like a a good example of that it is kind of a lot of the things that you'll see in the in the big data stacks, for example, like the 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 sort of uh, the direction that you know, for example, HortonWorks and Cloudera took with many of their projects were they were a hundred percent open source. You know, all of the features and functionality for many of their projects were available, and the there was you know no difference between for not for every project but for many of those projects there was no difference actually between mm -hmm. the the open source offerings and the enterprise offerings so it it's a bit of it is a bit of a a misconception about the misconception <laughs> maybe <laughs> also a movie called again uh, inception inception achieved <laughs> thank you um, yeah, it all depends kind of how the enterprise uh, organization goes to market, right? Because they make typically mm. a choice of doing, we're just going to provide services, consulting, support, things like that. And then the project can be kind of, the project and product project can be kind of identical because it's just a service laid on top of it. Sometimes it's a distribution model, Hortonworks was a distribution model, they just grouped a bunch of uh, open source projects, made some glue code and had a more approachable distribution that somebody could actually deploy without getting a PhD in deciphering open source projects. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes the enterprise project has some more functionality which makes sense for an enterprise but doesn't make sense for a hobbyist that wants to have a free piece of software to have his little database running, whatever. I mean, I'm not entirely sure here, but I was just thinking there about MySQL, which I can download, whatever. But if I want the um, uh, distributed part of it, uh, I forget the name of that thing. And I had it in my head for a second ago, but I'm not entirely sure if that's open source. That might, for example, I'm not sure, but that might, for example, be a difference between the open source project and the product that added more functionality to it. And then there's a third one, of course, which is the, at the moment, most contentious, the fourth one, the most contentious one, I think, is offering it as a service, where you just take mm. the project and don't even sell the project, but sell a cloud service that has that project, project. I must say, that's getting complicated underneath mm -hmm. it. Because that service, on the one hand, yes, it's a support consulting kind of service layer on top of it, but it's more than that, right? Because you're changing the interaction modus with that yep. 
project software application whatever it may be and that also changes the project in or the product from the project in certain ways because you typically have less freedom because they yeah. have to cut stuff away because it will be too uh, too, too insecure to put on the internet for example things like that and i think this uh, this also then blends seamlessly into our third misconception third and final misconception for this episode which is Open source doesn't have roadmaps. We don't need no stinking roadmaps. I was, I'm waiting for 300 episodes almost to put, put that one in there. Okay. <laughs> Good job, I guess. <laughs> well, I, th I think road, roadmaps and open source are... Uh, the, like, the reason that these three misconceptions, I think, group so well together is because they're all very closely interrelated. Like often um, you'll see community contributions to open source projects are often because there's a member in the community that has a problem mm -hmm. that they can't solve with the current version of the project, but they can extend it or add a feature or add some modification to it that helps them scratch the itch that they've got. Now, they won't always be the case that these will be major features. Uh, quite often, in fact, these are relatively minor tweaks to a large, if, if we're saying a large, very well-established open source project. Now, th this means that roadmaps sort of have uh, at, very, at their best, uh, let's say, a high degree of flexibility to them because you can't always predict what features or functionality or elements may be contributed into a project or may be accepted uh, by maintainers from um, you know, or by committers from, from contributors into a project. There may well be things that were not planned that just end up happening or appearing sort of without any, um, without have being in a, a fully planned design cycle and have gone through plenty of reviews and all sorts of other stuff. Like if the code is good and if the feature is useful and if people deem it, you know, worth adding to a project, then these things just sometimes appear. And so roadmaps aren't just aren't the same thing in enterprise open source offerings in many cases. Yeah, and it's also, I think, the greatest strength of open source because mm. roadmaps are what are killing proprietary software. Because by putting down a roadmap for the next five years, because typically roadmaps should be long-term or else it's not a roadmap, mm -hmm. you kind of lock yourself into a certain path and you can't deviate from it anymore because you told the world that that's what you're going to be doing in the next five years. And there's actually some legal consequence to that if you're a public company with revenue recognition, things like that. Once you put it out there, you're going to have function XYZ in version 1.3.5. And you kind of have to do that. Even if the world as a whole, the industry has pivoted away from whatever that was. I mean, just imagine you had a Hadoop um, product and five years ago, you made a five-year roadmap of based on Hadoop solely. You'd be yeah. bankrupt. I mean, the world has changed so much in the last five years. That's a huge bad thing. And the whole idea of the iterative approach of open source, adding little things, little crumbs, and then looking if there's a reception for it, if people like it, and if maybe tweak it a little bit and change it a little bit, having that flexibility, 
that's a big part of the innovation that open source can bring at such fast speed. And I think you can also see that now in the commercial world, sorry, the proprietary world, where their roadmaps have also shrunk a lot or have mm. become a lot more vague. And what mm. I've been seeing myself mostly is that roadmaps are kind of being replaced by what's oh, a good word kind of a mission statement perhaps or themes a maybe theme, a, a, an idea yeah. a, a direction a dot on the horizon but without any of that fixed uh, next month this next month that next month that because basically mm. if proprietary software keeps doing that they lose and that's yeah. not proven uh, i think one of the one of the pieces about roadmaps is that <sighs> I think part of the problem, part of the reason that roadmaps are still um, so prevalent and are so, still so front of mind is it's not so much for the vendors as as much. Yes, the, there needs to be some idea of you know what people are going to be working on next month, next quarter, things like that. But they're more for like how many times have you had a conversation where? Uh, a prospect or a customer says, "Oh, you know, please uh, let me you know, share your three-year roadmap." Oh, I, mean, I love those conversations. <laughs> I mean, shortest conversation ever. There isn't one. Actually, no. <laughs> it's a long conversation to make people understand why there isn't I one. Know, and I that's know. the thing. You can't just say there is no roadmap. You have to explain the why behind it. Because the only reason they're asking for a roadmap is insecurity. They're Spending the house, they're spending all the money, and I want to make sure that they had not make sure, but they want to have confidence that they're making mm. a decent decision. That what they're doing now isn't going to bite them in the ass. That it's something that's more or less future proof. And looking at the world today, if anybody here could have predicted the world today six months <laughs> ago, you're, you're good. And that's the thing, right? But it's a, it's a, it's a trade-off between having this predictability, this certainty and innovation almost. And that's also why cloud can be very good and very bad. I'm a little tangent here. I mean, some people go to the cloud and still expect to know now what they're gonna be paying every month for the next five years. Don't do that. That's not where you go to cloud. If that's what you want, stay on-prem. You have full control, it's everything you want. Cloud is supposed to be yeah. basic, go flexible, embrace it. If you can't embrace it, you can't have a bad time. And the same thing with open source. I, so I think some of it is, some of it is a uh, is pure kind of misconception and misunderstanding of why these three-year roadmaps don't exist. I also think that there's a there's a large amount of like, people have been just conditioned for decades by their vendors yes, to expect multi-year roadmaps, and it takes a long time to extract that sort of decades of of learning out of people and to change people's yeah. perspectives i don't understand that because even when you got those five-year roadmaps they oh, never the worked never yeah. nobody ever did the whole five-year thing because things changed and they had to and it was a good thing that they didn't actually because if they did it would be worse but people for some reason they like the the, the cozy blanket of a roadmap because i have something now it's a, it's a powerpoint slide now i'm safe no, that's why we always talk on the podcast here. And when I talk to customers, have a good understanding of the culture of the partnership with your open source vendors so that you know what is important for them. And if that correlates with what's important for you, 
you'll have a good time. And it may take a month longer or less, but what do you prefer? Some buggy crap software that has not been tested? I mean, look at the gaming industry. <laughs> Let's please not do that with software <laughs> as a general thing. Yeah. Well, I think we've run a bit long on this one. So we'll leave Jon with his comfy blanket. And unless there's anything else from you. Nope, I'll take my blanket and go to bed. In that case, that's all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution really does help. We are on YouTube. You can like, subscribe, comment, hit the notification bell, do all the YouTube things. You can also go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page. And for more information about the podcast, follow us on Twitter using the at Roaring Elephant tag. You can send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. And until next time, my name is... Oh, what is my name? My name is All About the Community, Dave. And my name is my long-term roadmap is trying not to die. Yum. That's a good we roadmap. forward to talking to you <laughs> next week. <laughs> Goodbye. See you then. Bye.